Everybody and welcome to Two Stories of Tinseltown Summer Series. Yes, it's that time again, and I'm here with my fave co-star, Miss April VVA, and we have done two summer series together, and this will be our third. And I'm very excited. So thank you so much, April. Well, thank you for once again having me, Grace. I always love working with you. Me too. We don't do it often enough. Why don't you tell everybody what we are doing for our summer um, series? Yeah, so we we kicked off with classic blondes, and this summer we are doing sultry brunettes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, go on. Sorry, go on, Grace. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say sultry brunettes who ruled, you know, the screen. And we we have quite a lineup. Sultry sirens. Today's, yeah, we got to give our brunettes some props here. You know, I love all our blondes and I love that series. I thought that was really good, to be honest with you. And I know a lot of people enjoyed it. And we did our classic couples. um, Or what did we do? Iconic couples of classic Hollywood, which is a lot of fun. And now we're, I don't think the brunettes get enough love, frankly. You know, I agree with you. (laughs) I feel like, you know, everyone focuses on, you know, blondes and what's the gentlemen prefer blondes, but they marry brunettes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, wisdom from Anita Luce, but they. Brunettes. I mean, when you look at actresses, there's a lot of brunettes. That are absolutely fabulously gorgeous and wonderful actresses. And our first pick may be a little controversial because she is really not known as a sultry vixen, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. (laughs) But we were thinking of someone early 30s, and I'm like, well, maybe Kay Francis, because she was, was she, she was a sultry in her own way too but norma um because of pre-code and and how she became this sort of slinky sultry vixen she made herself become this in the pre-code era so i think that's why we chose her correct yeah no she um she goes through a very fascinating career trajectory that's full of you know different uh I guess typecasted roles, and of course, we look at her now for her pre-code work, which is absolutely fabulous. But before Turner Classic Movies really revived Norma's memory, it, it, a lot of people just thought of her as, you know, kind of a whole hum epic actress, you know, like with Romeo and Juliet, Marie Antoinette. Or I think a lot of people maybe know her best from being that lovely housewife. In the women, Mary Haynes. Yes, mo- most definitely, and that that marks a drastic. Well, I shouldn't say drastic, but it definitely marks a change in Norma's career, which we'll, we'll get to. But yes, she's probably what most well known um, for playing Haynes in the women. Yes, she was wonderful. 
Okay, so we are going to start. You want to start? Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, Edith Norma Shear was born on August 10th, 1900 um, in Montreal, Canada, actually. She comes from a relatively prosperous family, uh, and she'll end up having a sister, which I never know how to say her name. I Athole? think it's Athole. 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 Yes, that must um, be. And her brother Douglas. I can pronounce Douglas. Well, we know him because you can always see him in uh, the credits. He was a sound dude. Yeah, no, he, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go into Douglas's accomplishments a little later. But okay. she, she's raised with both of, you know, them. Her father's name is Andrew, her mom's name is Edith. They're relatively prosperous, um, but today we would most likely diagnose her dad as having bipolar disorder. Uh, Norma would describe him as kind of walking around like a shadow or a ghost in the house. He He's prone to a bunch of different mood swings. He has issues. And while Norma's still a child, he ends up losing his business. Uh, her parents don't have a happy marriage even before that. It's very much, you know, we're just going to be together because it's the 1900s. Yeah, and we have kids, so we will. Yeah, I mean, we have kids. But when Andrew loses his business, Edith realizes this is the perfect time to leave, and she gets a divorce, which, you know, again, in 1910s, this is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Edith really, there's kind of conflicting accounts. I've seen people describe Edith as a stage mom. I've also seen people say that she was just, you know, she supported Nora. I've also seen people, or Nora, Norma. <laughs> and I've also seen people who say that, you know, she went through periods where she supported Norma and periods where she didn't. Um, but regardless, Edith's original plan or I guess nudging Norma towards uh, was actually becoming a a concert pianist. Uh, She, you know, had a piano for Norma. She, you know, said this would be great. You know, you should do this. Uh, And Norma, you know, goes with it, I guess, as a lot of stars do with I don't want to say overbearing parents, but with parents who want to push them towards this. Betterment uh, in some way and riches in another way. So it's not like they're exactly. pushing them to be school teachers. I mean, she wants her to be famous and that's what a lot of parents. Successful. Successful. Yeah. Financially. Um, so the she... Norma is originally going to go to the Royal Academy of Music, where she's going to train under a woman named Blossom Connolly. Um, unfortunately, Miss Connolly passes away, so that's kind of off the table. And Norma actually, people start commenting on how pretty she is. So with or without Edith's help, um, it's kind of, I guess, up in the air. Uh Norma starts entering beauty pageants and she's winning. And I think to some people, this is surprising because even as Norma would describe herself, she has very, you know, broad shoulders. She's only five feet, right? She's five. Sorry, what was that? Five feet. Yeah, she's only five feet and she has broad shoulders. She has 
I've seen the word stumpy used, but I'm not going to use it. We'll well, say very strong legs. She was called that by a lot of people who were in the film business. She's dumpy and stumpy and things like that. And her eye, yes. her lazy eye. And yes, she has she has a cast in her eye, which for those who don't know what that basically means if she's looking at something her eyes don't appear to line up when they're focusing on something mm-hmm. um and you know but she does very very well she's you know able to carry herself she you know just kind of starts working on getting her name known i guess is the best way to put it um, but Norma's sitting there and, you know, she's like 16 years old. She drops out of high school because she's going to work for her family. Uh, her mom and her siblings are living in this little apartment. She's, you know, working to help bring in money for that while her sister works as an office clerk and Douglas works as an assistant technician at engineering firm. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, all, you know, just kind of saying they're working, trying to make ends meet. Uh, but Norma eventually gets a letter of introduction to Ziegfeld, who, of course, does Ziegfeld's Follies. And her mom and her sister and her go to New York and he meets her and he's like, you're never going to make it like you're just homely <laughs> no really which, literally in stumpy which, leg the whole nine yards yeah yeah no and the I, I can't imagine how devastating that would be especially being she's only i believe in her late teens when this is happening but she really you know i would have gone yeah. home crying and you know <laughs> never to be seen again maybe i don't know but i certainly don't think i would have had that discipline to say oh yeah i'll show you but they lived, this is a funny fact, they lived in a boarding house. Mom, the sister, and Norma lived in a boarding house on 8th Avenue. I live on 8th Avenue. And 57th Street, and I'm really close to that. And I'm trying to figure out where the boarding house was because there ain't no boarding houses anymore. But Norma walked the street. I feel really cool. See? Sorry, what was that, Grace? I said Norma walked on 8th Avenue just like me, just years before. Yes, many years before. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you, April. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so she, a lot of people, I think if someone like Zeefield was like, you're not going to make it, you're too homely, I think they would just be devastated and go back. But Norma doesn't do that. No, she's amazing. Uh, so no, she, she absolutely is. Um, she goes then somehow she gets in touch with D.W. Griffith and he is encouraging towards her. He casts her as an extra. He, you know, works with her a little bit on that and she tries to, you know, make a connection with him. And one day he looks at her in the lights and he's like, your eyes are too blue they're going to get completely washed out and, you know, you have the cast in your eye. So Norma, again, doesn't let her, doesn't let it get her down. And she sits there and she keeps working and she gets these eye exercises 
that she'll do for hours a day to try to write the cast in her eye. And it does work to a certain extent. And she also will look at herself in the mirror. She's a very critical of her own features and she will, you know, figure out what poses work, what angles work to kind of, or I shouldn't say kind of to definitely emphasize, you know, the good features and kind of downplay what she considers to be bad. Um, and while she's doing this, she's working as a model, and she's actually a very successful model. And this isn't what we mean like a fashion model. She's doing um, prints, print print pictures. Yeah, she's doing Billboards stuff. And stuff. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. She's doing toothpaste, house coats, uh, you know, blocks of soap. <laughs> One of her quotes is that she could, you know she was able to model well enough that she could make a pad of soap look like a dinner at the Ritz. She's just so enthralled with said pad of soap. (laughs) And she's actually a very successful model, which when you think about it, after everyone's been criticizing her appearance and modeling is so focused on appearance is really quite amazing. It is. You know, and during this time, while she's on the East Coast, she continues to work. She makes a few films. I shouldn't say a few. She makes a fair amount of films, but nothing that's really, you know, going to make her stand out that much. But she does catch the eye of Irving Thalberg. Junior. Um, Irving Thalberg at this point is the general manager of Universal Studios. He supposedly the story goes sees her in a print from obviously her modeling and he's interested in her. I've also heard that he saw her in a film. I think it's one of those stories that kind of depends on who's telling it. Although I tend to subscribe to the theory that Thalberg had probably seen her work in the Steelers and the leather pushers and was impressed with her performance. But there are other people who claim he was simply impressed with her appearance. Yeah, I think he saw the movies, too. Yeah. No, regardless of what he's impressed with, um, she gets an offer. He's going over to MGM. She gets an offer from Louis B. Mayer, and he's like, hey, you know, why don't you come over and work? And she signs a six-month contract, and she goes east, and she, her mom, and her sister arrive on the West Coast in 1923, and the train pulls up, and Norma thinks there's going to be a huge (laughs) reception This entourage, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that, you know, like, Louis B. Mayer himself is going to come out, and he, it's going to be great. And they... Her mom, her Norma, and her family sit there for over an hour, and Edith finally says, "Norma, no one's coming." Um, you know, really? And, did they say? Because I know a lot of times they did pick up new stars, but I guess she wasn't like they did with Barbara Stanwyck. But she did a lot of. Uh, she was coming off Broadway, so maybe that's why they didn't do it with Norma. But Norma, she had. Norma, I think, had pretty high self-esteem. I give her credit. She did. She, she had a lot of grit. Grit. You know, she she was determined to make it. Um. So, you know, she she's sitting there and she's just finding this big thing. Of course, nothing happens to it. He just finally calls a cab and they, you know, go, go to their little you know, hotel uh, or apartment or, you know, where they're 
it's not really a it's not really an apartment. It's a room at the Hollywood Hotel. Yes. And sorry, what was that, Grace? No, I'm just saying. And Norma was PO'd to the max. Oh yes, she was very, very annoyed by this, and I can't say that I blame her. Me either. <laughs> Uh, and she's, you know, sitting there and she's very, very annoyed. And she goes uh, the next day to the mayor company, which has recently hired Irving Salberg. And boy, genius. Er- yes, boy, genius. He's very, very young. He's in his he's only 24, if I remember correctly. Yep. And Norma thinks he's the office. boy. <laughs> That's a riot. I read that again today. Yeah, no, I I absolutely love that story. She calls him boy. (laughs) Yes. She's going to go down there and give, you know, Mayor and Thalberg a piece of her mind. And then she realizes that, you know, she's just met Thalberg. Um, So to say, I wouldn't say their relationship gets off to a completely rocky start, but it gets off to an interesting start. Um, And then, of course, I mean, no one really like apologizes for not having anyone there or at least gives an apology they actually need yeah um so Nora's sitting there and she you know she starts getting cast in roles for mgm and they tend to put her in roles i've seen people describe them as innocent girl roles um but for me, at least, that conjures up kind of Mary Pickford right. 2.0, which it's I a, wouldn't agree with that. No, analysis. she's not like this little mouse. She's more what you'd call, oh, like a little, an ingenue, an ingenue. Yes. But, you know, not the sultry vixen. She's just the the attractive ingenue. Exactly. She sits there and she does, you know, a lot of roles that are about, like, society girls. Mm-hmm. Or she'll do, you know, like little, you know, little poor girl who <laughs> marries well and becomes rich. But she always retains, I guess, you know, a sense of innocence within it. But it's nothing that's, you know, like, oh, my gosh, she's Pollyanna. Mm-mm. No long uh, curls for Norma. Yeah, no, she she's not doing anything like that. And she's not are, tied to railroad tracks. Let's put it that way. No, she's yeah. not tied to railroad tracks. Um, and there are actually very few of her silent work survives. But the little bit that we do have and the little bit that we do know about, it's very – she does very well in them and – there's very it's very repetitive which is very common obviously for silent films a lot of times you'll get an actress and you'll put her in basically the same script with a couple you know changes in character and different you know, new characters. coasters yeah and i am not slamming silent films there are some excellent silent films obviously but it it is very prone to typecasting and of course that will continue through the studio era that's nothing new um one of her films that I personally wish that we could see, and I'm hoping that someday a print comes through, but I'm not holding my breath on it, is The Snob. Oh, I read that. I, I would love to see that movie. Yes, that that movie just sounds 
um, excellent. For those who don't know what the snob is about, it's basically this woman renounces her high-class lifestyle. She goes to become a school teacher, and she starts dating you know, some, this guy who also works at the school. And his dream is to sit there and you know, marry an heiress. He doesn't know she's one. And she gets sick. And he sits there, he's been after this one heiress, but he, I guess, takes pity on her, thinking, well, she's not going to be married long, at least I can, you know, make her happy. Uh, But, you know, she gets over it. She ends up, she's pregnant, the baby dies, because they deal with very heavy themes in silent films. Yes, uh, you know, it's either the really farcical, broad comedy or, you know, the dramatic, you know, nor, uh, Gloria Swanson and all that other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she, she blames him for her baby dying. Her childhood love interest has also renounced being rich and is working as an artist. And she tells her husband at the end of the film, from what we know, that she's going to divorce him. And she gets a divorce and she marries, you know, her childhood love interest kind of ventures into the territory of blue bloods will always stick together mm-hmm. but very much you know especially at the time it's dealing with you know very heavy topics and it's dealing with a woman in the 1920s getting a divorce and not being punished for getting the divorce well she was punished by losing her child so perhaps that was pre-punishment <laughs> You know, for getting yeah, divorced. No, but she's not like, she's actually like celebrated for getting her divorce. You know, it's kind of like, you know, well, I guess the best way to put it is she has to lose her child in order to get the divorce. Yes. Did you see but, any of her, have you seen her silence, any of her silent films? Um, there's a couple that have survived. Um, I saw Student Prince. Yeah, and there's another one, if I can think what it's called. It's, oh, goodness, is it Slave to Fashion? Yes, there's a Slave to Fashion. A Slave to Fashion has survived as well as the one where she, um, oh, this is embarrassing. The one where she plays dual roles and the one's like a prostitute, Lady of the Night. I love that one. (laughs) Uh, I had to sit there and think. I knew that was a good Um, one. Which, unfortunately, we don't have an English print. We just have a Portuguese print. And the reason I say unfortunately on that is because reportedly the American print was actually 10 minutes longer. But with silence, especially MGM silence, I will take what we can get. Exactly. You know, and... Norma, in these roles, you know, the little bit that we have, and uh, I definitely recommend if anyone wants to learn more about Norma, getting the films of Norma Shearer, because it does give relatively decent synopses on all of her films. Um, But, yeah, like like we said, Norma's typically playing some type of society role, but there's definitely an innocence around it, too. Not the Mary Pickford no, 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 not in the least. Um, or Lillian Gish. Yeah, <laughs> not she, those she's not girls. playing anything no. like that. She, but you know, she she's doing these roles, and they're 
relatively tame for the most part, even though I just described the snob. <laughs> but for the most part, especially when you get into the later 20s, her main character, even when she's playing a dual role, which she does a couple times, tends to be very, you know, like, she's a good person. She's never, like, really been around the block. Right, it's and allegedly she really... She was sophisticated. She knew the lights, but um, she didn't really go around the block. I mean, she'd fall in love with her leading men, but generally they were the ones that were married or weren't were involved with other people and weren't into her in the 20s. Yes, most definitely. And that's another thing. She makes a few movies where, you know, adultery is celebrated, but it's always because the married man's wife is horrible. <laughs> yeah. And Norma is, you know, the good girl that he should be with. <laughs> Those poor women. You know, so well, I've seen it. I mean, I think good girl role does work. It's just it's not necessarily innocent good girl. No. Um, but the, anyway, so Norma's, you know, sitting there in her personal life um, around 25-ish. 24 25 she and irving start to become involved but it's worth noting that they see other people and it's usually because irving is seeing somebody so norma will go out with somebody right and irving we can't forget the fact that he was so ill in childhood and his heart was bad so didn't they tell him he wouldn't live to be 30 yeah Ir irving just Irving has a very interesting life. Right. Um, but, you know, he, he's sitting there and he'll go and he'll, you know, see other people. So Norma will go and see other people. Uh, but I would say by 26, they're pretty exclusively with each other. Uh, Louise Brooks, though, always had this story that makes me laugh uh she hosts a dinner party and instead of putting everyone's name on their you know like little dinner mm -hmm. name card she would sit there and she gave famous book titles you know for books that she thought represented uh, everyone there and for irving she put genius and for norma she put the difficulty of getting married <laughs> Yeah, because you think about it, Norma didn't get married until she was 27 years old. And in some, you know, that's like spinster in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Irving, Irving was 30 and she's 27. And she's sitting there and she's going around the dinner table. Irving sees genius and he sits right down. <laughs> he has no qualms about it. But Norma keeps going down because she refuses to sit in front of the difficulty <laughs> of getting married. Which, as much as I love Louise Brooks, she was very unpretentious. And things that I know she didn't mean from a bad place could very oftentimes be taken as she was being rude or mean. Well, kind of. But I honestly don't think <laughs> Louise Brooks was being mean. I just think she thought it was, it was funny. Funny, yeah. But um, if you were Norma, would you think it was funny? No. No, I wouldn't either. I'd be horrified. And I, I can see why Norma kept walking around the table. Refusing like ring around the rosy. She just couldn't sit down, find that chair. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but by 1927, you know, 
Irving and Norma decide, hey, let's get married. Uh, Norma converts to Judaism to get married. And by all accounts, and I have to agree with this, I do think they genuinely loved each other. Me too. I do. There was, all, of course, all whispers about Norma. Oh, she's marrying the boss. She's only doing it for roles and whatever. But I don't believe that at all. Everything that I've found and read about them is that she really genuinely cared, took care of him. It was more, they said, not as passionately in love with him, but she was in love with him for different reasons. It wasn't like, you know, like, rah, rah, kind of love. Yeah, he had really taken her under his wing back in, you know, 23 when she first arrived Boy. and kind of gave her <laughs> guidance. Yes. And he was like her best friend. He was, and, you know, he he wanted to lead her to greener pastures and help her succeed, and, they, you know, love just kind of grew from it. Um, of course, I don't think that the, you know, stories about, well, you know, she only did it because she's, you know, Irving's wife. I don't think it's helped by the fact that he does lavish her with things. Like, after they get married, he gives her this gigantic portable dressing room. I didn't read that. Yeah, well, I can and see. It has, you know, a refrigerator, thermos, ironing board, dressing table, wardrobe. I mean, you know, for the time, it's considered very grand. Yes. And I can see, you know, and of course, it's on the MGM lot. So I can see why people, you know, sit there and, you know, come up with things. But we can dissect that in a little bit. Um, but Norma's career in the 1920s, it basically ends, like we said, you know, that she's pretty much, you know, the good girl. Uh-huh. She, she, by the late 20s especially, She's not really, like, running around in a negligee like she'd had in the early and mid-20s. Yes. she She's just kind of, you know, sitting there doing her own thing. Uh, but when pre-code comes in, or the pre-code era, I should and say. talkies. kind of like pre-code. Talkies. Yeah, when the talking pre-codes come in between 30 and 34, Norma's image is revamped, and that's really spearheaded by her. Exactly. She is determined that she is she's going to get away from like this good society, you know, woman image and she's going to remake herself as a revamp revamp herself as, you know, the thirties band. A sultry brunette. Exactly. <laughs> which is exactly, which is why she fits with our series. Yes. And Irving just sits there and he's like, no. You're innocent. You know, this isn't going to happen. He wants to kind of paint her as like saintly goddess. Right. He wants her for prestige stuff. And he also tells her, frankly, Norma, you're not sexy enough for these roles. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and Thanks, Norma honey. Sits, yeah. I don't know. Imagine hearing from your husband. I'd slug him. And Norma sits there and she's like, hold up, mister. Again, I'm going to prove you wrong because she wants to just, you know, prove everyone wrong. And For the divorce, say. Yes. Right. Uh, she wants the role. She wants to lead in the divorce, say. And as you said, Grace Irving's like, no, you're not. You're not sexy enough. You're not sultry enough. So she goes and she finds, a, at the time, unknown photographer named George Harrell. And 
she sits there and she has him take just these really sexy, you know, kind of promiscuous photos of her. Really hot. Normal. Great. Yes. No, they're absolutely gorgeous. And of course, Harrell has, you know, as we know now, is a photography master. One of the greatest. And he took the best pictures of Hollywood um, stars. He was amazing. Yeah, no, he he made photography a high art. Uh, Or celebrities still, or Mm. portrait photography, I should say. But anyway, he's sitting there and he takes, you know, these pictures of her. She gives them to Irving and Irving's like, basically, wow, I can't believe you look like this. (laughs) If he had a toupee, it would have gone, woo, woo, off his head. (laughs) (laughs) And she, she sits there and she gets the role in the divorcee. And... It unleashes a whole new Norma. She's, you know, sexy. She's sultry. She's vampy. Independent. Independent. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of good think pieces on feminist, you know, icon before second wave feminism, obviously. Right. Feminist icon of, you know, the 1930s and in these pre-code roles, especially. And she really is great in them. She's very sexy. She's very sultry. She just, she has it. And she kisses like... You, you believe she's in love, and even the actress said she, uh, we wondered if she was getting anything at all because she was so. When she kissed you, you stayed kissed, but when it was cut, she went right to her own corner and did it. I mean, she was really, um, she really was. I watch her and I'd go, "Whoa, Norma!" And it's, uh, the divorce was her first, and she was fabulous in this. Her husband cheated on her, and she said, and he was such a jerk, you know, when she she balances their accounts with Robert Montgomery, who was a co-star, I think, four or five times. And um, her husband can't take it. She's a slut. She's a this and whatever. So Norma says, my my door is closed to no one, only you. <laughs> you know, she's going to live. And she does. She does. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, the ending to me is the most unbelievable aspect. Me too. Why would she you want know, she- him back? Yeah, she she goes back to her husband, and I think it's pretty safe to say that they won it have lasted. He was such but, a creep, and that Janet in the house and everything. He had such bad taste. Oof. He did. <laughs> and it's, it's, there is, you know, the pre-code era is such an interesting era because I firmly believe that the divorcee had been made even five years before with Norma in it, she wouldn't have gone back to him. But it's like studios are working to try to not really appease, but try to follow kind of the do's and don'ts list at this point, which, you know, was formulated in 1927. And so it's easy to see where they're trying to do it with that because like I said, I firmly believe just like with, you know, the snob and other movies she made in the 20s, if this had been made a few years before, she wouldn't have gone back to it. Because he was really, you know, awful. Didn't mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. And when she does it, boy, does it mean a thing. <laughs> you know, she's exactly. just so and she doesn't get punished. She's supposed to get the reward, which we both go, huh? Which is her. <sighs> Her, uh, what's his face? William Morris's son. What's the guy's? Chester Morris. 
She gets Chester yeah. Morris. So I guess that's <clears throat> her reward. I'm sorry, you guys. My throat is a little weird today. Yeah. But I'm agreeing with you because I really don't think their marriage would have lasted had we done um, the divorce again you know, or something like that. Oh, yeah, no, most definitely not. And it, it's, you know, it's one of those things, product of its time. It really, you know, shows how Hollywood is transitioning. Um, and really, though, in the pre-code era, the, that's, I don't want to say she's typecast as this because she has a couple things that don't quite follow that. But right. she does play these, you know, really sexualized characters. Like Strangers May Kiss. Did you ever see this one, April? You gotta. Yes, it's it's good. I, You know, but she goes back to this creep. Neil Hamilton plays her co-star and we don't need marriage. He said, we don't go in for that sort of thing. Well, come to find out the jerk is married and he doesn't see his wife, but he is married. And he said, we don't go to, and she finds out later, oh, I felt I should be honest with you. Yeah. After she's, you know, given up her, you know, she's run off with you unmarried and her reputation is totally sullied. And so she gets back at him like she did as the other one. And she's known all around Europe and, um, Robert Montgomery again is with her and is in love with her, but he didn't get her. And he said, honey, I've been hearing about y'all through Europe and what are you doing? And um, yeah, the guy doesn't want her back. And he said, if you loved me, you'd never be able to be with another man. Hence, he was married. And Norma agrees with him. I agree. I'm sorry. She begs him. And then they get back together. And that's another one. I go, What? Yeah, no, the the endings on some of them are, aren't very satisfying. These horrible men she goes back to, and, you know, he is the most, just like Ted, these, you know, bat, they're just so, what do you what do you call that? I mean, hypocrites. They're the biggest hypocrites ever, and, and we're supposed to applaud, you know, Norma going back to these louts. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah, surprised. No, there's, there's definitely, yeah, no, there, there's, and... Again, I would say that's kind of the punishment for the well, like you were bad, so now you have to be with the bad dude. Right. Um, but of course, you know But it's not they, shown they showcase that. everything. So right. you know, and that's what pre coat's great at. It, it showcases everything. And, you know, she she's doing, you know, these roles. Um there is apparently she comes up to play something where she's going to be raped and Irving says, Oh, Norma, there, there's a role that the lead actress, you know, has to be raped. And Irving sits there and goes, well, it can't be Norma because, you know, everyone would know she could handle her own. And I mean, <laughs> now he, he's you know, changed his tune now, right? <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, she really can hold her own. Even in the 20s movies, you know, when she's good, and I'm putting that obviously in quotes, right. she she can still hold her own on everything. And Irving and Norma, 1930 is a big year. Besides the divorcee, they also have their first child. The third, Irving the third, right? You know, yes, Irving the third. I they read... I got oh, to sorry. ask you this, April, because I've read this that they for three years lived with, you know, he had an overprotective mamala who lived with them 
And they lived with his parents for three years. And Norma put her foot down and said, no more. He said he couldn't tell his mother and hurt her feelings. So Norma did. And they moved. Three years? Wow. Did you read that? Yeah. No, I can't imagine that. Like, I've heard the story and I believe it, but I can't imagine having Mm-mm. to live with my husband for three years, or husband's family for three years. Mom, who just stole my boy, my boy, you know, but she actually liked Norma and she knew Norma would not hurt her, her boy. She would, but, you know, of course she wanted to have her, her hands on her little boy. Um, exactly. So after Free Soul and they have the kid, oh, during the divorce, she was pregnant. Yes. And so I had no. I have to watch this again. They said they hit her behind things and they bound her. Whatever. I don't. I don't. I can't see it. Yeah, and I don't think. I mean, there might be a little bit when they're trying to hide like the beginnings of her bump, but it's not like she's doing it eight months either. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no. She she's sitting there and you know she's making these movies and they're really you know showcasing her and then of course pre-code movies are quote-unquote bad right the next one yeah you know 34 comes along and they really you know big time change it yes you have to be punished and it's so you see the difference because they remake movies from pre-code and they're like oh you gotta be kidding me but um norma i think this one was a huge I mean, we knew her from the divorcee, but this one with Clark Gable, a free soul. Lionel Barrymore plays her father. Clark Gable is this hunky um, gangster who Norma is totally drawn to. She's married. She's engaged to Leslie Howard. I'm sorry, our Leslie Howard, who I love, was no Clark Gable. So she falls for him, and she... You know, it's pretty blatant, you know, and, and Clark Gable said that bra didn't wear underwear. <laughs> but she was taken with him. She thought he was quite a hunk, but that's some kind of movie, A Free Soul. Yes, no, mo- most definitely. Um, and she she ends up, she's with Clark in three films. They're all great. I, I will say... Regardless of what anyone thinks of Clark Gable, he really was great on getting actresses to bring the their best performances out. Yes, he brought out that great. He was, you know, he wasn't the best actor in the world. Like I saw Strange Cargo with Joan Crawford, and he's like, yeah, yeah, and it's all sort of the same. But I mean, you can see him in other films, and he's very good. But. you know, he really, he was something. He had he had it, whatever it was. And he did bring out the best in his, um, in his co-stars. And they're all mostly hot for him. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can see why they are. I mean, he is, he is, especially once he gets his cosmetic surgery. Oh, my God. You guys have to see the before pictures. Oof. They're very intense. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, she or he, he really does, you know, bring the most out in his co-stars and they work, you know, very, very well together. 
And I, I can see why he was recast with her multiple times, because the one thing with Clark is he might not be the best actor, but he definitely has a big personality. And I think that's part of it. You have to act as big as he does to match his personality. Yes. Um, Which Norma the, does 100 percent. Oh, mo- most definitely. Uh, but her her last film in the pre-code era is The Barretts of Wimpole Street. Um, it's it's a picture drama. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. I, I like it, but it's nothing that anyone's going to sit there and say this is the best movie no. I've ever seen. But this is something but, Irving thought was a prestige f- picture for her. Exactly, and that that's really going to mark the change into what Norma's going to go into for a good portion, at least, of the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, she does give a wonderful performance. I, I will say that. She's brave. She's touching. It, it's genuinely an excellent performance from Norma, but it's just not the strongest script. No, and you know what the guy who played her co-star, Frederick March, said? Norma was his favorite actress to work with. But they were also friends with um, his wife, and he were friends with Norma and um, and Irving. But he said he really enjoyed working with Norma. Oh, yeah, and that's one thing. Norma is, when she goes on set, she is very, very professional. She, She, you know... She doesn't sit there and, like, hold up filming for days or anything like that. She goes, you know, she knows her lines. She gives it her all. George Cukor, you know, would talk about her quite a bit. In one one of his interviews about her, he says, you know, the thing with Norma was I had to, you know, learn how to make it that she held herself back because she would just give it everything she had over and over again. And then she'd go in her room and collapse. She did. You got to give it that. The next film, Romeo and Juliet, which I just saw. And I think Leslie Howard was like 42 and Norma was 35 perhaps. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm sorry. No. Um, so Sorry about that, Grace. Um, <laughs> Norma takes like a t- almost a two-year hiatus from films after the Barretts of Wimpole Street. She she takes about two years off. She has a daughter in thirty-five, and she you know goes into Romeo and Juliet, which will be released in thirty-six. And as you said, you know Leslie Howard's like forty; she's thirty-five, and. It's it's basically Romeo and Juliet grown up. Right. I think the issue with the play is, and this is the last thing that like Irving's involved in with Norma. I think the issue with the play is that they're trying to stick too closely to the source material. Right. I think if they had been willing to play around with it a little more, and I don't want to say make it cutting edge or I'm not saying classics are horrible, but I Shakespeare. Exactly. (laughs) How dare you? I think if they had played around with the source material a little bit more, people would actually love the adaptation, but it's the 1930s and they're not quite ready to do that. Mm-mm. And so she's, I have to say, Norma is gloriously lit in it. She really she is. Looks, 
she looks beautiful. You know, they give her that halo effect. That but she does. How old is she supposed to be? Thirteen, <laughs> fourteen. She doesn't yeah, look it. it. it no, she, she doesn't look thirteen or fourteen or twenty-four will, even. I will say, at least from my recollection of it, they don't really say a whole lot about ages. No. It's it's basically Romeo and Juliet grown up. But right. They're sticking to that, you know. And one thing I do appreciate with it is it does portray not like a lustful romance that's you know in the play. It's more of a grown up, you know, relaxed, subdued romance that is believable. But when you compare it to its source material, it's like there's no way these people are thirteen. <laughs> Right. Not even in their twenties. Yeah, not yeah. even in their twenties. No. Normal yeah, lovely. So it, he looked cute. He was sort of shot dark and wearing those outfits, but no. And I th- and Leslie Howard thought he was told too. He he just said, oh, come on. Yeah. No, m- most definitely. Um the film it's made for two million dollars, so it's it's one of those things. As you point out, Irving's trying to put her in these prestige pictures, and it's just one of those things that it's never going to be, you know, a smash and make back a hundred times its budget. No, it was just too much to produce it. Um, but thirty-seven, about a month after the movie is released. Irving dies on September 14th, 1936. Of course, he leaves Norma with two young kids. Uh, and she is, she goes into seclusion. She goes to the funeral and she goes into seclusion. She's truly devastated. She is. She ends up catching pneumonia. And she thought she was going to die along with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... She goes to MGM, she goes to Mayor, and she's like, I'm going to retire. And, you know, he he obviously doesn't want her to retire, but, you know, he also realizes that she needs space. Um, she does become, with Irving's death, she's one of the wealthiest women in the world, or in the ugh, if I could talk, she's one of the wealthiest women in the world. He leaves an estate that's estimated to be worth between eight and ten million dollars, which is huge today. It would be humongo, and yes. he, he purposely did that because he would fight. And he said, "Well, I have to take care. If I'm not here, I want my wife and my two children to be taken care of." And he did. He took care of them. All right, he did it. He, oh, mo- most definitely. Um. And Norma, you know, like I said, she goes through a phase where she's like, I'm done. I'm not going to do anything. And what ends up happening is Mayor's like, no, you know, you're, you're not going to do that. You're going to go in. And she pushes for it, too. They come to the conclusion that she should play Marie Antoinette. It had been Irving, one of Irving's last projects. He, you know, had been working on it since 33. Norma would read the Stephen's Wieg bo- uh, biography on uh, Marie Antoinette. It's going to be this huge production. Originally, MGM plans on filming it in color. 
but the budget becomes exorbitant. Adrian goes to France. He looks at Marie Antoinette's gowns. He goes through Versailles. He wants to recreate everything. He imports, you know, lace from the time period. She looked amazing. He did a wonderful job. He did. He, uh, but I mean, her wardrobe in that film alone cost six figures. Oh my God. It's just, it's insane. And while this is going on, Mayer is cutting her out of the profits that Thalberg was entitled to. He's like, you know, Irving's dead. This was his work. You're not going to get anything. And Norma, understandably, is like, no, that's not how this is working. You're going to give me, you know, what Irving was entitled to. And it becomes a huge thing, so big to the point where Norma actually goes to the press and she's like, you know, he's not wanting to give me funding for this Marie Antoinette movie that was Irving's, you know, last picture. He doesn't want to give me the money that Irving was entitled to. And she paints herself as very sympathetic. And I mean, she is sympathetic, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But she just airs out basically everything that's going on with Mayor MGM. And of course, Mayor's embarrassed. And he's like, oh my God, you know, he's really painted as the villain because he is the villain. And it, you know, comes out. So he ends up, he gives her the money that she's entitled to, you know, as long between, you know, like basically a 10 year period. And, you know, she, collects that obviously and he also signs her to a six film deal over three years at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a picture wow did you like marie antoinette i enjoyed it i thought she was very good and they said that she had a little bit of a soft spot for tyrone power he was only 23 norma was um 37 but i don't think anything happened between them but she she was fond of him no, it, it was, it was, it's a gorgeous film. Again, there are scenes where she's supposed to be 13. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work, but she does an excellent job. It's a gorgeous movie. It, I will say it's a semi for the time it was made. Um, it's, there are, I shouldn't say semi, but there are parts in it that are very obviously based on historical fact. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, does a good job playing with it. Of course, they have to make it, you know, tortured romance angle and everything like that. Yeah. But it is it is definitely an excellent movie. It's also extremely beautiful. It is. It really is. You'll, you would be... It's something I highly recommend you watch. And I thought Norma did a great job. I thought um, the guy who played her husband, Morley, Robert Morley, was fabulous. I mean, everybody was so good in this. It was really good. Yes, no, it's 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 a perfect movie. Um, some of the costumes are on display or have been on display. Definitely, the the intricacy in it is just mind blowing, and this picture is just beautiful. But of course, it ends up costing so much money that it can't turn a profit. Um, but you know. 
it, it receives generally favorable reviews. It's just it, it can't it can't make a profit because no, of how much the budget was inflated. But uh, absolutely gorgeous movie. Um, and during this time, you know, Norma does start to go out. Probably her most famous romance during this period is with George Raft. Which you would Raft. think, like, oh my God, George Raft and Norma? <laughs> you know, they just don't seem like they fit. But they were crazy about each other. They they were. And I mean, Norma's, besides Betty, I would say Norma and Betty Grable were probably his two main loves of his life. I agree. He He was reportedly carrying a torch for both of them when he died. Uh, but you know, she, so she's going out, you know, with George Raft, but of course George Raft is married and conveniently, I really think he used that. I have to say, and I told, um, George Raft biographer Stone Wallace that I think, you know, if he really wanted to get rid of her, he could have. I think he was afraid to be married, and especially to Norma. She'd take him to art galleries. He never, he was not, you know, really educated at all. He he grew up on the streets in New York in Hell's Kitchen. And, um, but she adored him. I mean, she really wanted to marry him big time. And he wanted to marry her as as big time as he could get. (laughs) Yeah, no, I... That's my feeling. I could be totally wrong. But I just feel if George really wanted a divorce, he could have gotten it. That was his excuse for all the women he was involved with throughout his life. Yeah, no, he, um, well, he's arguably a practicing Catholic. Uh, You know, and I, I, I think, I think. There's probably, I think it's probably a combination of both things. I, so I, point being, I agree with you. I think that he struggled internally a lot with the idea of a divorce. And I think it was easier to say, well, my wife won't let me get one. Um, and he, of course, he, he might have felt inferior in some ways. You know that here she was, mis- you know, she was still the queen of MGM. Everybody was still like standing and applauding her. After Irving died, she was like royalty there. Oh, most definitely. And I mean, to my knowledge, you know, Norma didn't get too much involved on, not that it was her responsibility, but as you said, I mean, she has the money and she has the power. And I don't think that, I think she wanted to marry George and George publicly said he wanted to marry her as well. But I don't think either one, you know, like actively and legally sought out to do it either if that makes sense it makes sense um she did the women she does she does the women um jungle red miss perfect wife mary haynes yes and you know again it's kind of it's kind of a shift you know with romeo and juliet and marie antoinette she'd been very innocent she had, you know, just kind of been sitting there and, you know, was trying to make these tragic love stories work out. And in the women, it's very much harkening back to, you know, both her silence and her pre-code work of society woman who's willing to do, you know, what it takes to make herself happy. Right. And her mother, every he says, don't divorce them, her friends, everything, do it. And of course... 
this is this has been made a huge brouhaha between her and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford played the woman who was having an affair and breaking up her marriage. And Norm, I love the confrontation between she and Joan. <laughs> I think that's wonderful at the um, at the fashion show. And I think they both do wonderful jobs, and all the women do. It's a really good movie, and it was a big success. It was on Broadway forever. Um, and Norma, Norma did a great job. You know, she played, she was sort of a goody two-shoes. She couldn't believe her husband was cheating on her in some ways. But, you know, she, she learned, lived and learned. She, no, most definitely. Um, she's up for Gone with the Wind. Do you really but, believe that? You know, actually, no, I, I I actually do believe that, that she's up for Scarlet and Gone with the Wind. Um, I, I think there's there's enough evidence to say that that's probably true. Well, um, if she could play Juliet, I guess she could play Scarlet at 39. Yeah, what the, the heck? Mm. The issue is, the issue with it, though, is actually um, not, you know, if she was considered for the role. It's more so if she turned it down or if turn it down because she didn't want to do it, or if her fans like wouldn't have accepted her and the offer was either rescinded or she turned it down because of that. There, there's no real consensus on that. Um, but, you know, really, I would say The Women, I mean, that's her last real notable film, at least in my mind. Not Mine saying her too. work after that is bad. But it was her it was also a hit. And also Norma didn't stop at George Raft. She went with uh well Mickey Roney wrote really crude stuff in his book. I will not go into it. Um but he was sixteen and Norma I think was thirty six. Norma also dated James Stewart and allegedly um the writer of Sunset Boulevard saw her. She was crazy about James Stewart, too. And she gave him this silver cigarette case, and it said, mad about the boy. So he got it from that for uh, when um, Gloria Swanson gave it to William Holden, mad about the boy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if I believe Mickey Rooney. Sorry, Mickey Rooney lied nonstop. I kind of uh, do. Because I don't, I don't think she would. I think now, don't get me wrong. Norma would obviously go with younger men, which you know, girl boss that all the way. Mm-hmm. But I, Mickey Rooney's such a lie, and he's such a he gross was, little yick. <laughs> yeah, and he he likes to make up. I mean, which is amazing because he did go with some of the world's most beautiful women. Like married Ava Gardner, my word. Yeah, but he, he also likes to lie and exaggerate. So I don't know on True. The, so on we'll, the we'll just say one. that was that. And it was There's no public romance, that's for sure. If it was, yeah. it was just um, weird. But yeah, no, so she's sitting there. Yeah, and she, she has an active dating life. Um, in 42, she basically retires from films. She does a horrible it's, film. It's an unofficial retirement. <laughs> Her cardboard lover, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but she does also in 42, she gets married for the second time to Martin Arouge, mm-hmm. who's a ski instructor in Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, and... They're married until Norma dies. Yeah, and he was 18 years her junior. And, um, you know, they would say he was a gold or whatever, but he signed a prenup 
with Norma that he would take none of Irving's earnings and all that stuff. So he did do that. And Norma allegedly was um, asked to do um, Mrs. Miniver, but she didn't want to play the mother of a 20-year-old. Yes. Um, she she was up for uh, a couple roles that, that she turned down. Old and acquaintance as well, I believe. Betty Davis wanted her to do yes. that one, too. And now Voyager, allegedly. Yes. Yeah. She, um, she, she's offered roles. And I mean, even up until the sixties, there are still people who want to work with her, mm-hmm. but she's just, she doesn't want to go back to it. And I mean, I, I can't say I blame her. She, you know, lives a very reclusive life after the 1960s. Yes. And she, she, she also was estranged from her children. And she didn't want to see her grandchildren because it reminded her of how old she was. Yes. Which is a shame. She, she has um, she has a very interesting relationship with her children, although I do think that it was semi-righted uh-huh. before she died. I think so, too. Um. But yeah, she she has a very very hard time with aging. She just she doesn't want to you know like see the wrinkles, right? You know, and it's very much that she's just she becomes a recluse. She doesn't see her friends either. No, it's sort of like Hetty Lamar, but Hetty was still seen, and she's got that horrible plastic surgery and the cheek stuff, but then later, she didn't even want her kids to see her either, because she didn't like how she looked. So mm-hmm. it's pretty... And we're going to be talking about Hetty, of course, talking about sultry brunettes. And um, with Norma, she ended up... There was mental uh, health issues in her family. Her sister had them... She was married to Howard Hawks. She was his first wife. She had children with him. And Norma was having her issues as well. And Norma ended up at, and people were wondering, why did she go there? The motion picture country home. Norma ended up there for a couple years, and they said she was doing very well. But the last year, she didn't know who anybody was, her kids, grandchildren, her husband. And they said it was sort of like a twilight zone year for Norma. Yeah, um, she supposedly, when her husband comes in, she'll call him Irving. Right. Uh, she's just, yeah, the the last year of Norma's life is very, very sad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before that, she, I think, you know, besides the fixation on her appearance, which I really think was partially due, like you said, to probably some mental health issues mm-hmm. as well as repeatedly being dogged for her appearance yeah. when she was younger. You're too ugly. Your your legs are stumps. <laughs> yeah. She just, you know, I, I think, you know, that really contributed to it. But she besides that, you know, supposedly has a relatively happy life. And yeah. I mean I am happy for her on that. But it's it's a very complicated it wasn't all, you know, her her time off wasn't all, you know, daisies and, and buttercups. She she went through her issues through her life till the end of her life. But, um, you know, she did have a happy marriage. He stayed with her. He was loyal and loving. 
And, um, you know, she had a horrible last year where she, you know, didn't remember anyone. And she ended up dying uh, in 1983 of pneumonia in the motion picture place. Yeah, she uh, she had, like you said, probably the most interesting film trajectory of anyone we've talked about. And we've talked about a lot of women. We have. And we will talk about a lot more this summer. Yay. Brunettes. Yes. <laughs> we're excited. Well, I don't well, even know what we're doing next. Do you know? Um, I think Hedy Lamar. Hedy. Well, she had some life. We love her. So we're just talking about her and aging. Um, we have a really good lineup for you guys. So um, I thought this was a fun show. And, you know, you guys might go, normally, hopefully we convinced you why we chose her as a sultry brunette of classic Hollywood. Right? Yes, sorry. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> I think we could have. So um, we are, we said to each other, unless, you know, we're really sick or something terrible happens, because we were so good with the blonde bombshell, we would do it every weekend, every weekend. And if we did have to change a date, we'd do it the same week. So we are planning to be good and do the, get one of our bombshells, our sultry brunette vixens, out every week. Yes. And so I say to April, my favorite co-star, my favorite, I love doing series. I really do. And I love doing them with you because I've only done them with you. And if I thought about it, I don't think I'd want to do them with anybody else. I love doing them with April. So, Oh, no, obviously same. And you're, you're my favorite person to work with. And it's so much fun for us. So we hope it's so much fun for you. We have so many wonderful women coming up. And April, thank you for being the wonderful co-host that you are. You're the best. Oh, well, thank you, as always, for having me, Grace. I love you. You are fabulous. And I love you. You are fabulous. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Keep listening. We're going to be doing some goodies, like we said, heady next week. So thanks, everybody. And thank you, my dear April. Bye, everybody. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown.